Welcome. This is a human interest podcast made up of stories about people who are traveling about by train or bus. The stories, 15 or 20 minutes long, are based on actual experiences that have occurred across the United States. Rails and Trails podcast, series one, episode three, generosity at the edges. For residents of the upper Midwest, 57 degrees and sunny is a treat when it comes in early February. It was Sunday afternoon and I was at Union Station in Portland, Oregon, waiting to board the Amtrak Empire Builder, a 46 hour route with service to Chicago. It damn sure wouldn't be in the 50s when I got there. So I was outside the terminal, taking in the mild weather, along with the coming and going of folks traveling by train on that particular Sunday afternoon. I arrived at the station about 11.30 a.m., well ahead of my 4.45 departure. I was unconcerned about how to spend the five-hour wait, content with soaking up the mild afternoon for as long as I could. And if people watching is your sport, in this arena, it's a high-scoring affair. Union Station in Portland is an architectural treasure with its Romanesque revival clock tower and clay tile roof. Near the top of the clock tower are the four lighted signs. They mark the complex as Union Station and hail the directive to go by train. Remains a busy terminal today. But standing outside the edifice, one can easily recognize its grandeur during a bygone era. In recent years, politicians and media have given ample attention to the homelessness matter in the Pacific Northwest, and Portland has gotten its share of national coverage. Much of the downtown area is home to numerous fellow Americans presently living without a home. Tents and shelters line the streets creating a neighborhood within a neighborhood, or business district as the case may be. The rows of tents come right up to the campus of Union Station, the specific grounds exempted. A small park lies between Northwest 6th Avenue and the drive-up lane. A half dozen benches offer a relaxing place to sit and soak up the vibe, and it's a place where people smoke. After paying 10 bucks to store my roller bag, I took up a place on a bench. There was the regular flow of activity. Ubers and cabs were coming and going. Travelers would meander out of the station for a cigarette. And occasionally, a needy soul would watchfully sneak over, trying to secure a contribution for their cause. They would eventually draw the attention of a security officer who would promptly send them away. In an area directly off the terminal property, A woman had staked out her space. She screamed and shouted at anyone who came within 15 or 20 feet of the space. That included the public sidewalk on her side of the street. Every so often, somebody would unknowingly begin to pass by on that walk, provoking a verbal tirade of cussing and condemnation that would send them racing for their lives. I sat on a bench about 30 feet away from her, mostly ignoring her rants. A couple of times our eyes made contact, and I waited to see if I would get a lashing. It didn't happen beyond the low-level utterances that never ceased. 
but it happened to a fellow traveler that I would befriend and end up spending much of the ride with. Carl got broadsided with the angriest of dressings down, but more on that in a bit. I pondered taking a short walk just for a change of scenery. In spite of the expansiveness of the tent cities, downtown Portland does have some cool bars, cafes, and coffee shops, and I know of a nearby dispensary. I got up and headed down Fifth Avenue toward Everett. There's a Chinese garden a few blocks away in Old Chinatown. Lansu stops welcoming guests at 3.30, and I decided to pass on paying the admission for an abbreviated visit. The walkover was pleasant. Shortly, however, I headed back in the direction of the station, making a couple stops for coffee and other sundries. Carl and another gentleman were seated on a bench just outside the terminal. The gentleman with Carl needed to get a ride to his home several hours away in eastern Oregon. He had lost all contact with his expected driver. He only had about $5 and no phone. Carl was letting him use his phone to get in touch with someone who might connect him with his driver, but things weren't working out. He couldn't reach anybody, and he spoke little or no English. He sat on the bench doing everything he could, which was to wait and hope that somehow his ride would arrive. It was concerning to imagine him left here overnight with no means and limited communication. Carl offered to buy him a hamburger at the grill inside the station. The young woman in the heavy trench coat caught my attention, not because she wore a heavy trench coat on a 57-degree day, but because she crossed the sizable expanse of concrete with such a purposeful stride. Her pace was accelerated and her posture erect. Her gaze was held in a forward position and her head never turned to either side. Right at the terminal door, the security guard moved swiftly to restrain her, securing her wrist and guiding her toward an exterior corner in the building's brick wall. Immediately, a 48-inch cross-cut logger's saw dropped to the ground from her coat. A second guard secured the saw, and once she was deemed harmless, that is, without another potential weapon, she was released. About 20 minutes later, a kid... 11, 12 years old, pedaled up to the same security guard, presenting him with a gold aluminum cane that he claims to have just found on the roof. It's got to be a 100 feet up to the clay-tiled roof line, and it beats me how he got up there. I asked Carl how he rated the hamburgers, and he gave an enthusiastic thumbs up. I headed back inside to the grill to order one before our upcoming departure. It was excellent. Perfect fare ahead of 46 hours of food from the cafe car. Upon finishing the burger, I collected my roller bag and rejoined Carl and his impromptu friend on the same bench. We still had about an hour. Carl, who had been living in the Southwest, had come out to Portland to join a friend. He had experienced a dramatic and unexpected change in his living arrangements. It knocked the wind out of him. He also lost his truck and found himself facing an unanticipated new reality. His friend suggested that he come to Portland, that he could live with him and get reestablished. Carl reasoned that it might be a good idea, but upon arriving, he discovered that his buddy was a mess, living in a dark place with too much drug use. What he anticipated would be a new chapter wound up being a dead end. 
He spent the limited cash he had left on a couple nights hotel and a train ticket to the Cincinnati area, not far from where he had grown up. Now he was really in a predicament. I could tell he was a quality guy by how he treated the stranger in the midst of his own despair. Miraculously, predictably perhaps, the stranger's driver pulled up just as we prepared to board. It came as a major relief for all of us as Carl and I lined up to board train 28 for our first major stop in Spokane. We would be there around 12.31 a.m. Carl took up a bulkhead coach seat, and I settled in directly behind him. Burlington Northern Santa Fe 9.6 Columbia River Railroad Bridge is just 50 feet above sea level and a half mile long. We creaked toward the bridge, and I surveyed the freight yards outside my window to the east as we drew closer to Washington and the town of Vancouver. Immediately across the bridge, the Empire Builder takes a turn east, and we continued on the Washington side of the Columbia River until we ran out of daylight. I picked out Oregon towns that I recognized, from Hood River to the Dalles to Arlington and Umatilla. I love rivers, and the mighty Columbia is one of my favorites. Known to many as the Big River, its basin is 258,000 square miles, Columbia River Gorge. Did I mention that our coach had no operational lavatory service when we departed? I decided to visit the cafe car and get a cold beverage. I found Carl in the observation car above the cafe car, and another individual who I'd helped with some bags and boxes during the boarding process. He was having a cup of coffee, wrapped up in a colorful, well-used, knitted afghan. He began to share some details of his trip. A tip had come to him in the Twin Cities, where he lives, about a fellow veteran in Portland who was in a tough place in life, a gentleman with a dual diagnosis, alcoholic schizophrenic, The gentleman explained to me that he works as a self-funding advocate, seeking out other vets in the throes of dual diagnosis episodes. He engages with them to connect them with the resources and help they need to find a path to recovery. Often, this action requires dealing one's way through bureaucracies and all of the associated red tape. Hopelessness moves in, and the person is frequently lost and left on the streets for the whims of fate. This man with a mission made an immediate impression. It seemed I was speaking with a modern-day scout, guiding persons trapped in a torturous quagmire to a place of new hope. And he does all of it on a shoestring budget that is largely self-funded. We spent several hours of the journey conversing about our own military experiences and various life's challenges. I found him to be the embodiment of faith, hope, and love, though we never once spoke of religion. I always make a point of getting off the train in Spokane. There is a lengthy stop around midnight as the train from Seattle is joined with the Portland train for the rest of the route east. I walk to the far end of the platform in the early morning hours, taking in Spokane's downtown nightscape. Finish any sundries I will no longer need when we leave Washington State. The air is crisp and cool, some would say cold, but it felt right as I reboarded and settled in for some sleep. 
Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The cafe car is open and serving at this time. The announcement from Todd in the cafe car was a welcome wake-up call, and I wasted no time getting on my way. Coffee is a vital part of a well-balanced trip on the train. I slept reasonably well through the night, and as daylight broke, I could see some of the beautiful scenery of Glacier National Park. We fell a little behind schedule overnight, and were about a half hour from Whitefish, my favorite stop on the whole route. People were beginning to stake out space in the observation car, and with two cups of black coffee in hand, I joined them. Time in Whitefish is limited to a basic smoke break, but I got off the train to take in the beautiful station once again. A terrific restoration was completed, perhaps a couple decades ago and I went in to greet the full-body bighorn sheep that keeps guard of the place from his glass showcase. The station, an excellent example of Tudor revival, is architecturally similar to a Swiss chalet and compares with many other structures throughout the Glacier National Park area. Coming into Whitefish, the route skirts the southern shore of Whitefish Lake. The trip down, however, is full of beautiful scenery through mountains and streams. It takes you from West Glacier through the park over to East Glacier. Little by little, the terrain levels out for the journey across Big Sky Country. Big Sky Country on this particular Monday could have also been dubbed Big Wind Country. It was gusting up to 83 miles per hour as we neared Cut Bank, Montana. That was just a little too feisty to cross the Cut Bank trestle 180 feet above the creek. It's your basic trestle open to the sides, no guardrails. I'm not sure who had the responsibility for holding the train, but we sat on the west side of the trestle for four hours and 20 minutes, waiting for the green light. Everyone was getting tired of waiting, but I didn't hear a single voice challenging the wisdom of that decision. An old bed and a recliner chair, situated randomly in the middle of the high plains, helped to pass the time as I reflected on what particular human involvement might have resulted in such an odd placement. They may have been there for 10 years. Our journey east across Montana and North Dakota continued through Havre and Williston and Minot and Grand Forks. Time was allocated between conversation in the observation car, reading, and periods of reflection enhanced by the swaying of the train and its constant forward motion. There were stops as we waited for freight traffic, a condition of the railroads that owned the routes. Prepared to get some rest and had no trouble falling asleep, Todd's familiar voice woke me once again somewhere east of Fargo as he announced the opening of the cafe car. I made my way to the lavatory. A workable solution had been arranged in an alternative car. To freshen up, brush my teeth and such, I've developed a satisfactory routine for hygiene on the Amtrak, even when riding in coach on the longer routes. It's not the equivalent of being in a sleeper car, but it is acceptable. Two cups of coffee in hand, I took up a place in the observation car and was soon after joined by the man with a mission. We exhausted the next few hours in meaningful dialogue across a range of topics some having to do with our individual careers and families, more broadly, much having to do with our general human experiences. I got us another round of caffeine and a paper cup, 
and we carried on as most of the morning expired. Our arrival in the cities was imminent. It was about lunchtime, and he left to go gather his things. He would be exiting the train at Union Station in St. Paul. I suspended returning to my seat for about 20 minutes, processing the past few hours, and making notes of certain nuggets that I wished to retain. Upon returning to my seat, I was struck to discover a colorful, well-used, hand-knit afghan, neatly folded and placed on my seat. I checked to be sure that I was in the right car. We were coming to a stop at the station, and I picked it up and moved quickly to the lower-level boarding area, catching him just as he was departing. Held up the afghan with a non-verbal question. He returned an affirmative nod. I tried to say that I didn't need his afghan. He spoke with kindness and generosity and explained that the purpose of the afghan was to be passed along. That was how he received it and that I would know when it was time for me to do the same. Presently, the afghan is still in my possession. Hey everybody, this is Daniel, and I want to thank you for spending some of today with Rails and Trails podcast. The work of Rails and Trails is to bring you stories based on actual human events that have happened while out across the country traveling on trains and buses. The mission of Rails and Trails is to look for the sacred in these human interactions. So far as possible, the stories are presented in an unvarnished manner. Only first names are used to preserve anonymity. I am guided by the idea that God comes to us in the grit and grain of our daily lives, and I have no doubt completely missed plenty of those visits. The illustrative account in Matthew 25 shows me what this looks like, and it's a text with the capacity to make me shudder. Each person introduced in this podcast is a human being and is due the same dignity as all of us. I am grateful for your interest in the podcast and humbly appreciate all supporters and subscribers. I love hearing from you. If you haven't yet subscribed, I hope you will do so today. Rails and Trails is my creation and is produced by Second Half LLC. Thanks again.